Welcome to the Kratom Sobriety Podcast. This is episode 41. I'm Jacob, and I'm here with Charlie and Decima. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about resolutions. Since the new year is coming up, and this will be airing right before the new year on New Year's Eve. Awesome. How are you guys doing tonight? (laughs) This week's interview is with Jazz, who successfully tapered off Kratom and powder Kratom at that. And I think one of the interesting takeaways was she finally got to the point where her kratom addiction was getting in the way of her exercise addiction, meaning somebody that once ran a 125-mile race, but her kratom use slowly eroded her athleticism over time. Oh, it's cool that we've got someone that's successful in taping. We haven't had too many of those stories on this podcast, so I'm excited to hear that one. I think, Decima, you had some resolutions that you wanted to, to start us off with. So I'll give you the mic. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm loving that I have been hearing a lot of people making the resolution to quit Kratom out there in the community, which is amazing. I'm rooting you guys on out there for that. I do have some resolutions. I have three, and two of them are kind of like, you know, they're kind of deep personality type get in there and adjust some things in my life. And then the other one's a pretty simple one. But I have some mottos for 2024. I feel like a lot of times in the past, I've been really focused on, you know, like making money, being successful, you know, all those things that people generally focus on. And this year, I'm just going to assume that. I'm not going to waste some energy. I'm going to assume that that's just going to be there and I'm going to focus on gratitude. So my two mottos for next year are going to be attitude of gratitude and also poor in 2024 because I don't care how much money I have, I am going to identify as a poor person. I'm going to live perfectly. Those are my two biggies. And then my small one, I actually wanted to throw this one out there and urge everybody to do this one. It's very simple. Alt text. If you guys post images on the internet, on social media, etc., if you use that alt text or a description on your photos for our people that are blind or visually impaired, it's super helpful. And I'm going to make a commitment to do that myself. So those are mine. And I can't wait to hear what you guys have cool i have uh i have three as well so my first one is kind of personal related i have not been doing a lot of strength training this year i started off 2023 pretty strong then you know got sober kept it up with cardio and whatnot but let the strength training lapse so i'm gonna definitely start that and a big believer and you don't have to wait till the new year so i've actually already started doing more strength training this month and i'm going to keep that up and and hopefully put on some muscle mass in 2024 i have two that are kratom related or well tangentially at least so the second one is i am going to spend a lot less time on social media i've also already started this i haven't really been going on reddit at all i have spent very little time except for the moderation that i've been doing on on facebook and i only really go on instagram for posting pictures of my dog so gonna gonna also do that and the third and final one is i took a position and i I still this is still basically my position on on kratom and regulation in general that you know kratom should be regulated sort of similar to recreational marijuana or alcohol but i'm not going to wade into that debate anymore in 2024 i i don't really have a lot to offer on that subject it's not a passion project of mine and i really don't want it to occupy any kind of space in my brain so uh, my new position for 2024 my resolution is to basically stay out of the the kratom regulation debate and i don't don't really care one way or another if it remains legal or if it becomes illegal i just don't really care so that's my third resolution excellent i just have to ask though do you care if it's regulated or are you staying opinion free on that too opinion free do not care one way or the other (laughs) what happens with kratom in regards to access regulation don't care at all 
Respect. Jacob, I've never known you to be a 12-stepper, and that is the 12-step way is to be it neutral is. on all outside matters. So it is. Comes into the fold? <laughs> I don't know if I'm coming into the fold. I'm I'm taking what I like. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking what I like from programs and applying it where I think it'll work best for me. I think there's a reason behind that, you know, that principle. It's a tradition. Yes, I have some resolutions too. Partly a couple episodes ago, I talked about doing this. We were calling it a Zen 75. It was a modification of Jan's hard 75. And something I'm doing with Jazz this week from the interview and another person who is quitting Kratom. But I found that my Zen plan was a little bit like when I did the Zen Kratom plan, where just kind of got out of control and slowly my standards eroded. And so we're, uh, we're kind of doing a new jump start in the new year where I am going to start over if I don't do these habits that I want to form. So no phone in my bedroom, number one. Number two, eat healthy. Number three, walk for 45 minutes a day at least and hopefully get back to going to the gym. Number four is drink a half a gallon of water. I found that both my bladder and prostate, which I might edit this out at my age, can't handle <laughs> a gallon. And number five is read 10 minutes a day. And so hopefully those will create new habits that will last the whole year. The Zen plan that where we were just going to observe and kind of not beat ourselves up and be judgmental. If I didn't accomplish any of those. It, it just didn't work. It just, it, there's a reason to start all over the original plan. There's a reason that has that mechanism in it. I love the casual. Nice. I'll just edit this out. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to decide if I like the bladder and prostate joke. <laughs> I'm sure it's relatable. <laughs> yeah. Quick note about our holiday special. Thank you again for everybody that called in. Ended up, it was probably my favorite episode of all the ones that we've ever had out of all 40 of them previously. But it was also the one that had some of the worst sound quality. And that was because when you have Google Voice plus carrier coverage across America, plus mobile phone use from the caller. It just doesn't equal good podcast sound. A quick correction. I said something about like we get 400 listeners per day. It's 400 downloads of each episode during the first week. I did the average. We have about 180 listens a day. In either way, this is going to be a, a, a poor podcast. Just like, we're talking about Desmond. We'll be able to live in poverty. Identify as a poor podcast. Yes, yes. There we go. It's 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 obviously cool to as as people that work on the podcast to see the growth of the listening. Also, kind of sad to know that creative addiction is is probably growing quite a bit in in North America just based on popularity and and all that stuff. Yeah, it's definitely bittersweet. But I'm so glad, even if. We're only reaching 10 people. I'm so glad that we're able to reach who we're reaching. So thanks for tuning Definitely. in, you guys, for sure. Yeah. And now for the interview this week. This week's interview is with Jazz. Hey, Charlie. I'm doing okay today. How are you? It's that little weird period of time between the new year and Christmas. It's a rough time, actually. Like, uh, I mean, it's it, it can be a good time for, for a lot of people, but also a lot of uh, trauma triggers and things like that. Happy holidays, though. Same here. Same here. Yeah. Okay. So I am Jazz. I'm an elder millennial. So kind of an 80s child. I guess I'm a self-described nerd. I really love learning. I would stay in school forever if I could, but unfortunately that doesn't pay the bills. But I do work in academia and research, so I, even though I'm not a student anymore, I've sort of clung to that. And yeah, one, I mean, even though I am a voracious reader and um, I really love to learn, I, 
I am a very high energy person. I am very hyperactive. I always have been since I was a kid. I have a lot of like frenetic energy, hence the nickname jazz. I do a lot of running. I do skydiving, hang gliding, CrossFit, like anything that's active and moving. And yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, me in in essence. Not bad for a geatric. Geatric. How do you say that? Geatric. Geriatric. Geriatric? Geriatric. Yeah. Like Tom and Jerry. You should yeah. keep this with this. This is funny. You keep, yeah. <laughs> Finally not, fumbles. Not bad, for, not bad for a geriatric millennial. Exactly. And how long have you been off Kratom? So today is December 27th, and my last, my it was the day before Thanksgiving, so Wednesday, the November 22nd. So it's been a month and about five days, so almost five weeks. And I know you did a long, slow taper. How did that work? Yeah, well, it started with quite a few fumbles, I would say. I So I decided that I wanted to and it needed to quit probably around the beginning of 2023. So I think it was around February that I, that I actually found the WhatsApp group and the, and the meetings. And I realized like, you know, I didn't hit like one single rock bottom, but it was just destroying my life in so many ways. And yeah, I I was, wasn't an athlete anymore. So anyway, was so, I like spent all this time reading the Reddit forums and seeing what approaches work for people. I saw the taper guide. I was like, that's too much math. I don't want to deal with that and spreadsheets and things like that. So I thought maybe I could do cold turkey, but then yeah, there was, there was so much fear mongering on the, not, not necessarily fear mongering, but so many anecdotal experiences that really deterred, deterred me from even like setting my toe, stepping into the the pool of um, cold turkey. Cause I mean, even interdose withdrawals at my worst were like, I would be jumping out of my skin. I was super, super anxious all the time. So that just, that wasn't going to work. But I, I did try the rapid taper thing quite a few times and I just kept failing and failing and I would, I would give up and then I'd increase, I'd stop like weighing the doses and yeah. So eventually I said, enough is enough. This isn't working. And I saw a, a post on Reddit where somebody was talking about slow tapers and he said if anybody needs help uh, with tapering let me know like I tapered myself and now it helps me to give back so yeah so I actually reached out to him and he kind of explained the like the taper process and and how you really really have to make small small cuts you can't just jump like I was trying to jump from like once I got to like 12 grams per day I, I tried to jump like to six and and I thought oh yeah I'm still tapering like it shouldn't I shouldn't be feeling so uncomfortable but yeah I mean it was like incremental so obviously I had to have a lot of discipline and that came in time but yeah just knowing that it was going to take a really really long time to get to the end goal and be okay with that because other I mean I spent like half a year just failing <laughs> so once I, yeah, once I really got on track, it was smoother. I know I jumped ahead of that question because you're kind of famous around here. We don't have many taperers and we've been having demand yeah. audience for like, you need to have more people who have tapered. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I haven't come across too many people who have successfully done that except for like this small group of tapers on Reddit. But yeah, apparently it's, and it's like, you know, I know you've teased this quote, but I always say like everyone's an experiment of one. So I, I mean, I have immense respect for anybody who can just cold turkey get off that stuff because for me, it's like no, that's um that's torture that I that I can't do. <laughs> Death by a thousand paper cuts is like way more my style. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can rewind and maybe start at the beginning of your kratom use. How did you get into it? It's kind of like it was kind of a perfect storm for my kratom addiction to blossom and then spiral because back in 2021 it was around may 2021 and i had like a lot of like traumas and re-triggering of traumas that were all like like coming together at the same time you know i I had just lost and actually a few people who were very close to me and i 
was assaulted and it brought back triggers to a previous assault. And, and so I was in a vulnerable state already. And in the meantime, I was trying to, you know, work out and run and de like deal with my trauma that way. I was trying to outrun my trauma. So, so I was like just spending all of my, instead of getting like therapy at, at the time and really like reaching out, doing that kind of work, I just, I just kept running. And, and a friend of mine, she mentioned that there was this, there was this herb that called Kratom where she's, she's an ultra runner and she said it helped her run faster and, and farther and she felt very euphoric and it, it took away all her cares. And, and so I, like, I'm usually as a, as a, like a research scientist, I'm usually very, very good about doing my due diligence and researching and critical thinking, but I was in this vulnerable state and, and I didn't have the motivation and I didn't, I didn't care about myself at the time because I was going through all these like traumas and, and so I just didn't care. So when I saw, like, when she told me that, and I, I read a few anecdotal reports, like, oh, this is great for working out and great for depression. I was like, oh, okay, well, multi-purpose, but let's, let's test it out. So I ordered some powder from an online vendor. And at first I didn't like it because I got, I guess, like on Reddit, they call it the wobbles. So I definitely had the wobbles at first. I didn't have a scale at all. So I just like took a little teaspoon and took a little bit. And I, yeah, I definitely got dizzy. I went for a run and I was like running into the curb and, and I thought this isn't for me, but I kept like experimenting with it for a little bit. I mean, I wasn't really, I was in this little trauma funk and I was isolating. So I just kept taking it. And I guess I, started to build up a tolerance already. So that same dose, whatever it was, wasn't giving me the wobbles, but it made me feel euphoric and like just on top of this world and all of my depression and, and trauma and all those like terrible, painful emotions just melted away. And I was like, this is amazing. So of course, like if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And I should have gone and done a bunch of research and like on the side effects and and gotten a fuller picture of it but instead like in my vulnerable susceptible state you know I did the whole confirmation bias thing where I went back on reddit and only looked in the pro kratom forum and looked at like oh this cured my depression or this is really really so I just kind of it was a defense mechanism like I blocked out all the negative information that was out there about it and of course it spiraled from there like I started using it because as like a workout supplement but then it had that other benefit at the time of supposedly curing my depression, masking it. And yeah, I just, I got kind of hooked on that. So that's where it's spiraled out of control. You had wobbles while you were running? Yes, How did, it what does that look like? Oh my gosh. Well, good thing, like I was, was during the pandemic. So there weren't too many people about, otherwise they might've thought that I was like, yeah, on something, I don't know, like when people were tweaking out on <laughs> I don't know what it looked like, but I, I was getting dizzy and I'm like running into the curb and I, I thought, oh man, I have to get home. There was one incident where I, uh, I, cause it made me really nauseous at first and I had to run behind this building and throw up into a trash can, <laughs> like on the run, bodily yeah. fluid. And, and probably later that day or the next day you took some more Kratom, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, I did. It's like as soon as I got back from that run, I was like, well, I threw it up. I may as well take some more. Yeah, that, 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 that speeds up. That moves ahead my dosing schedule. Exactly. Yep. Yes. I. <laughs> well, you started hitting towards things started having some more negative effects from. Yeah. Then So at first, like even those sort of a blur, like I feel like I lost a lot of time over the past yeah, two and a half years that I was almost two and a half years that I was that I was using it. It's like, yeah, it was just a blur because I wasn't really I wasn't bringing awareness to any of my experiences. I was just going through the motions and and dosing and trying to block out the negative feelings or feel something when I couldn't. But yeah, got to the point where you know my tolerance increased and I just to just to avoid interdose withdrawals, I had to be taking in heaps of powder like. It got to the point, I think, was it this, not this past summer, because that's when I was really serious about quitting, but the, I guess it was the summer before, 
well, in t- sometime in throughout 20, 2022, you know, I was taking heaps of powder and I'd, I'd go for a run and like 30 minutes into the run, I'd already be going through interdose withdrawals. And so my endurance would and my heart rate would spike and I had to stop running. And I'm like, oh man, now I have to go back and take more powder. And it, it just took over my life. Like everything had to be, everything revolved around like, you know, can I carry can I bring Kratom here? Like going on trips, you know, like, oh, I have to research. Can I bring it in the my carry-on? Or going into a museum where they check your, your baggage. I'm like, oh man, can I can I bring it there? Like people asking, do you want to hang out here or do this? And I'm I'm like, oh, do I have enough portable, like do I have enough oblate discs that I can go out with this? Otherwise, like I I probably have to stay at home so I can take it or or prepare water bottles and stuff like that. So there was that inconvenience. But then, of course, like the physical, the the loss of endurance was the main thing. Like it really wrecked my athletic ability, but also like hair loss. The cold intolerance was terrible. I was freezing all the time, even if it was like 60 degrees outside. I'm always bundled up like Nanak of the North. And I'm really glad that 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 effect is gone. But yeah, it like took over. You know, it's like other your other guests have talked about it. There's never like it doesn't cause respiratory depression. Like it's not um it's usually not by itself. It's usually not going to be lethal, but so it's a more insidious kind of addiction. And do you have a history of issues with other substances having an addiction with them? I don't actually. So Kratom was the first substance that really sunk its teeth, sank its teeth into me. I will say like, I probably do have addictive personality. I've joked about it before. And I think I, I do even more so now, but it's always been like habits, behaviors that have been addictive. So definitely like the hyperactivity, the need to exercise all the time. Like I have trouble sitting still. And when I was a kid with the trauma, I definitely engaged in some self-harm behaviors. So it was never, never substances. It's it's super weird. Like anything else I could take it or, well, I mean, I, I haven't tried anything illicit, you know, alcohol I can. You can take it or leave it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can take it or leave it. With other things, you know, when I was in my college years, of course, I did the whole college thing of, you know, you go out and you drink and sometimes you wake up hungover the next morning. But yeah, like as an adult, I drink so rarely and it's like, yeah, I, it, it, it's not even worth even a little bit of a anxiety for me. So how much Kratom on average were you using and what type? It sounds like it was powder. Yeah. So luckily I never went down the extracts route. Like by the time it had sunk its teeth into me, I was doing more research and, and looking into how to quit and what to avoid. And I saw like, you know, I found the quitting Kratom subreddit and I read about just how terrible the extracts are, like how, how crazily addicted they are. And I, so I avoided them. I never I want to even see one. And so my highest never I never used a scale until I decided at the beginning of this year 2023 that it was time to quit so but I think it was probably about an average of like 30 to 40 plus grams per day and even higher than that at times like if I was going through a really really rough time with my depression or you know had had some other trauma or some other emotional pain then I would say screw it and I would just take in more so I'm sure there were weeks where I was averaging like 70 or more grams per day, not for very long, but probably an average of like 30 to 40. And I would always buy it online from vendors and yeah, just the the green and red powder. I tried the white once and it gave me so much anxiety. I never wanted to touch that again. But, you know, me being, having so much energy and being so hyperactive, like I liked the, the strain, quote unquote strains that uh, are more sedating, I guess, or give you like a smooth sort of energy not like fidgety and we don't need to see jazz on a stimulant no we definitely do not so here's a funny story we once um had a had a psychiatrist I actually do think that I have a little bit of ADHD but yeah. I once had a psychiatrist say you know oh man I think you you might have ADHD you're very hyperactive why don't you try this I think it was it wasn't it was Adderall and it was like 
for two days and yeah he was like no you can't ever be on stimulants I mean I was bouncing off the walls I was like yeah this is I don't know it's weird because if they're supposed to even you out if you if you have it but yeah and yeah. they some people that are hyperactive they do and they're you know they're an important medicine so beginning of this year what was the final straw what just came together you finally decided you wanted to quit yeah i don't think there was one final straw exactly it was more just a convergence of all of these terrible symptoms and plus i really wanted to get back to being athletic and and i would say maybe like the physical symptoms and the withdrawal symptoms are pretty torturous but i guess they weren't in it themselves like enough to to be the impetus for me to quit but it was really when like my endurance fell apart and i couldn't do the things that i loved which are all like very active hobbies and i couldn't keep up with my friends anymore i couldn't go for hikes i couldn't go for runs with them i had to like you know would have to bring a pack with with all kinds of kratom and even then i'd start going through interdose withdrawals and it just robbed me of my life and i you know i guess it like the spark started and i was on the quitting kratom subreddit and i would read and and it yeah i would i would become more and more motivated but i didn't think i had it in me to to really do it until i said enough is enough and i forget how i found i forget how i found the whatsapp group but somebody i think somebody from reddit sent me a link to it and i went to a meeting and i said whoa there's all these people who are like they actually have meetings about kratom this crazy little little substance that nobody's ever heard of i guess a lot more people have heard of it than i thought but yeah i thought i was alone for such a long time so it's really nice to have this community it's interesting some consider you like sort of an ultra athlete or you know exerciser creating use is kind of coming among that group i do know that in like the ultra endurance community a lot of a lot of people who are very serious about that have a history of some trauma or addiction and it's sort of like yeah these this this drive to just keep pushing and explore your limits but also some people say when you know I know a lot of like former people who identified as self-identified as addicts in their previous lives they go into ultra ultra running for example and and the criticism is oh aren't you trading one addiction for another and you know maybe I mean it can be deleterious and in a lot of ways like david goggins for example he he's had so many health problems i mean i know his whole shtick is like oh go hard look how how yeah like don't be a sissy callous the mind all of that stuff but he has i think he went into renal failure one time like trying to do an 100 mile race on no training and he's gotten lost i mean where he didn't prepare for this big race i don't i don't know the exact details but it is, I think that kind of those, the ultra endurance world does attract those personalities. And I definitely think I have um, that kind of personality myself. Yeah. Even well, it has. You've talked about trauma and other experiences. Have you had a chance to delve into those issues and heal from them? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I realized like that I needed, that I, I needed to go to the root of those issues and I don't think you can you can just be successful and and be sober from a substance or a behavior addiction by just removing the substance or whatever that addiction is. I think you have to like work on the issues that cause the addiction. And so for me, it was trauma. So, yeah, I've actually been exploring like psychedelic therapy. And that's like a whole other podcast in itself, but it's, you know, a lot of uh, ketamine clinics have been popping up and licensed ketamine clinics and the research on ketamine is pretty promising as long as it's accompanied by the right therapy and integration. And, and so, yeah, I, I started to explore that whole psychedelic world and I, this time I did my research and actually went on you know, looked at peer-reviewed articles and, and went to the primary sources. And so, yeah, I, I've been working with some therapists and I did a few psychedelic journeys and revealed a lot of insights, but definitely helped me process some trauma. But it also, I also went in with the intention of getting off of Kratom and having the discipline to taper without these constant setbacks. And for some reason, like the last psychedelic journey that I had, 
I came out of it and I had no desire to keep taking it. And so like the physical, you know, it didn't heal me from physical withdrawal. I couldn't just stop cold turkey there. I think at the time I was taking like four, 4.5 grams per day. So I couldn't just jump off of that, but it just, yeah, it made me like just so turned off by it. And I just had no interest in it whatsoever. I was like, I'm taking the bare minimum amount to avoid uncomfortable withdrawals and that's it. And after that, I just never, yeah, I didn't slip at all anymore. And I just kept decreasing incrementally until, yeah, I guess the day before Thanksgiving and tapered so slowly at the end, like from 4.5 to zero that I don't think I've really had much of the way in the way of Paul's, but I also think the psychedelic journey, you know, what psilocybin, the psychoactive compound in mushrooms does is it also does a lot of like repairing of your receptors. And so I was hoping to avoid some of that psychological, emotional pause. And I think it did definitely help. That's exciting. Yeah. Just to back up a little bit, what did your tapering failures look like? So my, my major mistakes were trying to taper too quickly. Okay. Um, like, as I said, so at first, I think the big thing was the, the first step when, when I read the taper guide was, you know, you always, it's like, I read it and I said, oh, okay, well, I don't have to go that slowly. Other people do, but I'm an athlete and I'm like, not like comparing myself and saying, justifying why it's not going to be so hard for me when in fact it was actually maybe more difficult in many ways. So I looked at the taper guide and I said, okay, well, I can, and then I, I saw that gabapentin can help. And, and I actually did have a, a script for that, that I wasn't using that was prescribed for anxiety. And I said, oh, well, here's a use for that. Maybe I can, I can use it to help me taper off, but then I'd have rebound anxiety from that and it didn't work. But yeah, the, the major mistake was thinking I could go from like, you know, like cutting it in, in half from 30 to 15 or 30 to 20, maybe at first was not that difficult, but then going from like 16 to 12, um, yeah, without, going incrementally in between, that was terrible. Like I'd start to get these terrible withdrawals and I'd feel awful. So then of course I had to take a ton to like, yeah, get back to baseline. And it was just all over the place. It was a roller coaster. But once I talked to that person on Reddit and, and, and learned like, you really have to go slowly. It was easier from there. I started to reduce from 0.33333, like <laughs> non-terminating grams per week was what I was cutting by. So it was very, very slow. When you most recent highest, how many times a day were you dosing? Oh gosh, a lot. I wasn't counting at all. Once I started on a taper plan, it was a four times a day and then I decreased to three and then I removed one. So then I was only doing one in the morning and one at, actually it was late afternoon. Uh, so and then I would increase the time in between doses. But yeah, at my highest and even my average use, I I didn't count it out. Like I just, yeah, I just went to the the, the big bag and started to okay. dose out the powder. Yeah. I never, because you were buying it in bulk, it was never like a financial issue? Yeah, it wasn't too much. I mean, I would say the most I've spent on it was maybe 150 a month. So not not terrible. And that was like at my highest use because I never went to the extracts and I would get the deals and yeah. So, so that wasn't really a big, a big issue. Although it is nice not having to, to having a little bit extra, although bills went up. So that's where the freedom savings are going now. Definitely. I, I feel you there. <laughs> well, with your successful taper and everything, did you have any withdrawal symptoms? In the beginning I did, I would say they were pretty, they were definitely minor compared to the, comparison to the withdrawal symptoms I would experience if I tried to do a rapid taper or like if I tried to cut too much or if I tried to go 24 hours without Kratom. So I would say like minorly biggest thing. Yeah, the cold intolerance was was pretty miserable and just not being able to regulate my body temperature and having my heart rate go funky and anxiety yeah, the jumping, feeling of wanting to jump out of my skin. Like, I don't know if that's what restless leg is. I never had, I never had the, like, literally restless leg where my legs were moving and fidgeting, although I'm just fidgety anyway. So maybe I just didn't notice it. But yeah, difficulty sleeping, of course, because 
my heaviest use, I would use a lot of red kratom to get to sleep. So, yeah, I, I think that general anxiety is maybe restless soul, and that, yeah, and that's definitely a withdrawal common experience. And the legs, I think, are literally when you legs are involuntarily moving, especially when you're trying to sleep. And the only time I ever had that was actually when I took an over-the-counter, like overnight PM med for sleeping. It's recommended don't take those because that is a known thing that it can happen is cause the RLS. So, um, yeah, I read that that Benadryl and other antihistamines and things like NyQuil can exacerbate RLS. I did I did try NyQuil a few times and helped a little bit. I didn't I didn't notice any RLS, but it wasn't something I wanted to get hooked on. So that was like yeah. when <laughs> after I you know really couldn't sleep and needed to get like an hour or something. And other than I know you combated your withdrawals with exercise, was there anything else that you found helpful? Yeah, breathing exercises for sure. I learned about Wim Hof, so I learned how to do, I downloaded the app and I will say that that, I guess what it does is it puts your, kind of trick your body into thinking that you are, well, you start hyperventilating, trick your body into thinking that you're not getting enough oxygen and then you go into like survival mode. So gives you like natural endorphins. I suppose that's how it works. But yeah, some benefit from that. And then also, honestly, like, I know you talked about a few podcasts ago, the gray area, like California sober. So I don't smoke, obviously, as an athlete, I like to protect my lungs, but I, I do consume edibles on occasion. And I did find those, they didn't, they didn't completely stop the withdrawals, but they kind of distracted from them and helped me get into a like a place where I could focus a little and do the breathing and meditation. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And I know it's only 30 days, but how is your life today? What What are the improvements that you're experiencing? Oh, a lot, actually. So my health is 100% better. I wear like a running watch, so it tracks my heart rate over time. And I mentioned that during my heavy use, and especially when I was going through severe interdose withdrawals, like my heart, yeah, my heart rate variability was terrible. It was, my heart rate was spiking. My rest, resting heart rate was elevated. And yeah, once I got actually like, so it's been, it's been a month and a month and a week since I've been completely off, but I was at such a low dose for a while there that some of those health issues resolved, like even when I was under, probably under like two or three grams per day. My my heart rate went down, resting heart rate went, went down to like the 40s or 30s. And yeah, I, I had to get a, a routine blood test and everything looked good. Although, yeah, like my, my iron was low when I was on Kratom. But besides that, I think um, I, it never like it didn't affect my kidneys or my kidneys or my liver or anything like that. But definitely the, the heart rate stuff and yeah, hormones, my menstrual cycle was all over the place. And it's calmed down, my hormones seem to be under control. I don't have the cold sensitivity so much anymore. So I can go outside in the freezing cold and not like feel like I'm dying. I still don't like the cold. But yeah, it's not terrible. How about emotionally? Are you feeling better? Yeah, I think I think the psychedelic journeys helped with that quite a bit. Still do go through I I'm doing a lot of therapy as well with psychedelic informed therapists. So yeah, we're working a lot on, on my trauma and bringing out feelings and accepting them and things like that. But so I, and I do think I, I made a lot of strides there, but also just not being on Kratom anymore. I'm feeling, feeling music a lot more. I know a lot of people talk about losing interest in music or not reacting to it and definitely feeling more connected to it, just more connected to people in the world in general. I used to isolate a lot and plan my schedule around my dosing. And now I don't have to worry about that. Like I can go anywhere and just empty handed. It's kind yeah. of cool. It's nice. It's it, very freeing. It might be a little too early. So you experienced hair loss? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely did. And it, so, it just, and it completely, yeah, I experienced hair loss and it completely stopped growing for a really long time. It has, it has slowly started to come back and it seems to be growing more and my skin isn't as dry. So those issues as well. And is there any other supports that you have in place to kind of 
wrap yourself around to keep you on this track? Um, yeah, I just I I'm continuing to do the the therapy and I just have to stay vigilant, you know, knowing now that my addictive person, I always knew I had an addictive personality to behaviors, as I mentioned, but knowing that there are certain substances that can lure me in like Kratom, I, I have to be very careful. I have to keep doing the work. I have to bring awareness to my emotions and, and feel them and not try to escape them. And also, yeah, just like taking, taking what I learned and not making that mistake again of not doing my due diligence and my research to look at all sides of the coin. Do you feel like you'll have it? This is the classic addict kind of thinking like, like lingering thoughts, like I can moderate or if I just use a small amount or I could do it just one time that do any. So I will say that in the last, uh, had a couple of like random freak things happen in the last few weeks that have been sort of stressful and I will say that like for a, a millisecond in my mind it's like oh yeah just a little bit would would help maybe just 0.5 grams but then yeah it doesn't last longer than that and I know it's not even worth trying to moderate because I, I just don't want to go down that road and I also got rid of my entire stash away because I like I've never I've never bought it at a store. I've never even seen it at a store because I don't go into gas stations that often. I pump outside and use the credit card. So it's not like I would be tempted to just go buy it. I'd have to I'd have to actually go online and place the order and wait several days. Yeah. So, yeah. Luckily, I'm protected that way. Well, we can switch gears here a little bit and talk about some big picture things and careers and policy and stuff like that. I know you once worked in a big pharma job. Uh, Broadly, what are some of your criticisms of the industry? And Oh, yeah. So this is in relation to the whole like regulatory debate and kratomism, you know, people, the pro-kratom people wanting FDA to approve it as a drug or or as a food and just have it be regulated because it has shown some benefit in harm reduction. But yeah, in order for the FDA to actually regulate it, it would have to go through all these clinical trials to establish safety and efficacy. And the supplement industry compared to the pharmaceutical industry is like so unregulated. And it's like, yeah, it's it's very, you, you don't know what you're getting. The FDA doesn't actually officially regulate it. Like there's, it's like they'll get warning, they'll get warnings or fines if they make a claim that they're that it, they're not allowed to make. But other than that, they're kind of given the benefit of doubt, whereas um, drugs have to go through, like pharmaceuticals have to go through a huge approval process. But what I was talking about is that, you know, the the pharmaceutical industry isn't completely blameless either, because I know from experience working there, a lot of like what the pharmaceutical industries do, which was disillusioning to me as a consultant when I worked in that industry, is they'll sometimes fudge the data or not not like overtly produce fraudulent data but they might can in they have a hypothesis based on preliminary data and they really really want that their drug to seem efficacious or safe and so if the results like once you're replicating the study don't show that conclusion that you want to show, you can either add more participants to add study power until you get a significant result, or maybe try some other analyses that would show a significant result that aren't the initial ones. And just like playing with the data in so many different ways until you get a meaningful result that would encourage the the FDA to approve the drug. So it's it's just like a very nuanced issue and there there are major problems with the supplement industry but also issues with pharmaceutical industry and then you know there because the pharmaceutical industry those companies they have a vested interest in getting their drugs approved because they're sponsoring the studies financially. So there's the whole profit driven argument and it's just complicated. I mean my understanding the supplement industry it's there's a 1994 law called the Deshay Act, and companies who sell supplements or herbal products or, or you know any of any of these dietary supplements, they don't have to prove that their product is safe. The FDA has to prove that it's unsafe, and it can remain on the market. And like you said, there's 
seems like the FDA has limited powers to crack down on these, you know, warning letters, uh, yeah. things like that. And it sounds like the companies build that just right into their business plan to mm -hmm. pay these minor fines that might come with the letters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my hope would be that, uh, that with enough study sponsors, like, pharmaceutical companies that are interested in maybe synthesizing the active nitrogenine compound and kratom to make it therapeutic or help as a, as a harm reduction tool eventually maybe in 10 years after it's gone through like phase three trials it'll be regulated and people can get it in a in a pill form or something like that but yeah i don't i don't think it should be banned completely like um i think we're on the same page about that yeah you no know, some people will some pro some kratom advocates would really not be happy if there was a prescription or even if it was like an over-counter of the product that you had to ask the pharmacist for because it was behind the counter you know but just selling the uh, the raw powder without the quality controls and regulation isn't safe either so yeah, yeah i don't know I don't know what the solution is long-term. Well, you mentioned music earlier. What are some of your favorites? Oh, man. So I, I don't have one favorite for everything. It kind of depends on the circumstance, like the the occasion. I know a lot of guests have said this before, that they like everything but country, and I'm kind of the same way. But, I, yeah, I play instruments. I sing. So I like, you know, oldies. I like alternative rock i like a little electronic dance music when i'm working out or sometimes if i'm just need to like have a catharsis and cry my eyes out i'll turn on some really really sad like a silent i don't know if you know the band a silent film they're sort of obscure indie but yeah yeah they their songs are like in in minor keys and just really really eerie and it's good for a cry i don't know but yeah so i, I have very to be very trite, I have eclectic musical tastes. And what kind of instruments do you play? So I play piano, keyboards, I sing, I play ukulele, I play a little bit of guitar. I would love to learn upright bass, but I don't know where I would keep it or, I mean, probably lift it, do enough CrossFit and weightlifting for that, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very small apartment, so I don't think it would, I think it would be taller than the ceiling, to be honest. Could we ever find you in a karaoke bar? Yes, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but only if they have the really obscure song. I don't like the, uh, you know, the, I mean, I, I do love Journey, but if I hear Don't Stop Believing in a karaoke bar one more time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any tips for people wanting to quit Kratom? Yeah, I would say don't rush it. Like that was, I mean, uh, as we mentioned, like everybody's an N of one. So what works for me isn't going to work for you. Or, and yeah, everybody has to tweak a protocol to work for, for themselves. But for me, it was when I tried to rush things that I kept backsliding and it just made, drew out the my whole like quitting journey even longer. So had I just like not rushed from the beginning uh, then and been patient with myself, then maybe I would have more time off Kratom by now, but it was all a learning process. But, but as you said, like not a lot of people can't taper. They don't have the discipline or maybe they can develop the discipline, but maybe that's just not something that, that works for them. So just, yeah, I mean, if if you if you do want to try to taper, then be patient and and take the lowest or cut cut as much as you can to not while still remaining comfortable from with or having just like very minor withdrawal symptoms and just tweak it and and learn from and and also like keeping a log can help. So it's like this time on this date I took this dose and here are my symptoms and my withdrawal symptoms and and then you can kind of go back and you have data so you'll know like. I mean, I had the intention of doing that and then I didn't because it was too much work. <laughs> but eventually I figured it out. It's like practice. Yeah. Say as I do, as I say, not as I do. <laughs> well, is there anything we didn't touch on that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Um. Yeah, I would say just uh, don't 
there, there's no benefit to shaming or judging oneself. It's very, I mean, this is such an insidious, insidious substance and it, it really does sink its teeth into people and just self-flagellation doesn't serve any purpose. So if you make a, if you backslide, um, just, just accept it and learn from it. No, it's not a, you know, I, I saw this uh, quote once on a t-shirt that said, I do not fail. I win or I learn. And I really like that. So, you know, if you, if you backslide for a day or, or a dose, then try to figure out why, what, what happened, maybe do some journaling, some meditation, self-reflection and, and move on from it. And yeah, don't beat yourself up. It's, it's not a, it's not a race. <laughs> yeah. Just whatever. Take your time and do it right the first time. Yeah, I love that. I either win or I learn is a great mantra, yeah. way, a way of living. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening from early on. I know I've mentioned Jay many times on the show over, over, over the many episodes, and it's great to have you finally on. So, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I'm excited. So, this is another. I know one of the questions that we didn't get to was like, "What do you have um, to prevent or to avoid relapse?" And I mean, just knowing that I was going to be a guest on the show and that I'm talking about how much clean time I I have now, yeah, it would keeps me on the straight and narrow. Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and if anyone wants additional help tapering or wants to vent or a shoulder to cry on just yeah they can reach out to you and you can connect us and i'm happy to use what i learned and give back we do need more tapering experts and resources and people who can talk about it some confidence and some experience so thank you thanks right. charlie this was fun Great in the headlines. Hey everybody, it's Jacob, and this week we have the Tampa Bay Times Deadly Dose Expose series of articles that were released over the past few weeks entitled Kratom's Meandering Trail from Indonesia's from Indonesia to Consumers in Florida. So essentially supply chain and how that all works for one of the more popular Kratom brands that is known for their potent extract shots. So essentially, there's kind of hundreds of businesses and middlemen involved. The Kratom for this product and brand starts in Indonesia, typically on the island of Borneo. It's grown and then sent to a city like Pontianak for processing into a fine powder. It's then sent to a port city, the article and video highlighted Sarabaya, where it then begins its one-month-ish journey to a West Coast port city in the USA, most popular one being Oakland, California. It's then sent via truck to a city outside of Atlanta, Georgia, Marietta. Samples are then sent to Michigan for testing for, you know, alcoholic content, presence of heavy metals, etc. From here, the path diverges. So, some of the raw kratom powder is sent to Texas, where it is treated for contaminants. It's then sterilized in the Fort Worth area. and The path is different for extracts. Those are sent to a large facility in Springfield, Colorado, where it's processed into extract powder. That powder is then sent back to Marietta, Georgia. It's then transfer, transformed into liquid extract or packaged into extract powder capsules. At this point, all of those Kratom products are sent to another warehouse in Dallas where it's bottled, packaged, branded, and distributed across the country. The article particularly highlights it's hitting the Florida marketplace in the Tampa Bay area in gas stations, bookshops, etc. We have a YouTube video that is linked to the Tampa Bay Times. Kratom has been used for hundreds of years in Southeast Asia, but Americans consume it differently. Liquid shots and capsules are manufactured to be more concentrated. The more concentrated products, those are the things that we have a bigger concern about. Uh, simply because the exposure can be much faster uh, and much higher. 
there are no established therapeutic or toxic doses. The Times bought Kratom products for testing and found that many don't have drug interaction warnings or dosing instructions on their labeling. Does it accumulate over time? More than likely it does. We haven't done those studies. No one's done those studies. So we're still looking at several years down the road before we will have something that could say, yes, indeed, this does help with mood elevation or depression, or indeed, this does help with treating substance use disorders. That has prompted some to ask, how can something so widely available be associated with so much tragedy? The answer is that Kratom is largely unregulated. The industry has been left essentially to police itself. Scientists who study the plant acknowledge that Kratom is not easy to regulate. Many researchers argue it should not be banned. But as it stands today, when lawmakers across the country craft rules for Kratom, they're mostly just getting one side of the story, the industries. So very, very complex web of growers, transporters, shell companies, and processing plants, warehouses, etc. all go into the Kratom products that are consumed by consumers in the United States. So this is just one of you know, the, the hundreds of, of different Kratom brands and products available across the country that was highlighted by the Tampa Bay Times. It's an interesting supply chain, and usually for, you know, most goods and services that are sold in the U.S., you don't see this kind of thing. I worked for an e-commerce company for a short time in my career. I have a tech background, and I actually worked on some supply chain software for a little while. And that company sold furniture, and a lot of that furniture supply chain was very straightforward. Went from a manufacturer, usually in Eastern Europe or China, directly to a port city, imported into the U.S., directly to a warehouse where it was then shipped to the customer when they purchased it. As you can see, that versus this complex web of, of Kratom supply chain is very different. So that's Kratom in the headlines for this week. Happy New Year, everybody. Resource of the week. Before we delve into that, I want to comment on the Deadly Dose series, the part three in particular that Jacob was just talking about. There was three takeaways from that that I had. One is it showed the opaque corporate structures that the Kratom entities use all along the supply chain to hide who owns and who can be accountable for importing shipping and processing and packaging Kratom products. Two, there's many points in the process where good manufacturing practices aren't followed and it can lead to a dirty and contaminated supply chain. And third, the written article really delved into the working conditions for workers, especially at the Colorado site, which I think now is closed down if I understand right. Some Kratom industry workers experience twitching, seizures, nausea, and opiate withdrawal, just being in close contact and with the with Kratom working with it. So the resource of the week this week is St. John Hopkins, the research institution, reached out to us about a new Kratom survey, and they would like us to tell our listeners about it. They're hoping to capture all experiences, including those who may have quit Kratom. They want a diversity of experiences to be documented, not just the favorable ones. So I'll read the flyer. The John Hopkins University School of Medicine is seeking volunteers to complete an online survey study about substance use. We want to learn about experiences with novel or less commonly used substances, such as Kratom, Kava, and Tiaptine. If you have used these substances, you may be eligible to complete the survey. The survey is anonymous and does not collect personal health information about you. Completion times will vary based on substance use experience, but we estimate the survey to take approximately 30 to 35 minutes to complete. There are no treatment options or compensation for the study. If you are interested in volunteering to complete the online survey, please see the link in our show notes. Jacob and I have both completed this survey, and we encourage you to. One complaint about this, this survey is it's a little bit long. It's because they need to have some context. 
they have to need to collect enough data that has some depth and some breadth for it to be qualitatively you know valid and for it to be have enough rigor to be publishable hence the longer the longer survey i would recommend doing it when you have a moment when you're not feeling rushed and you're not multitasking it's not a complicated questionnaire but it it does feel like a lord of the rings movie where <laughs> i think you're done and then there's more there's more segments to complete so that's the resource of the week a couple last notes i want to wish our very first guest, Elliot, who just in the last week celebrated a new baby in his family. Just, that kid came in time just for the tax break and for the annual health insurance deductible. So good job there. And last, I'd like to wish everybody a happy new year. And until next time, keep it Kratom free.